Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Today, I got to interview James Barnes, also known as the Trans Coach. James is a public speaker and transition coach. He is extremely passionate about helping companies create safer work environments for individuals to feel more empowered in their everyday lives. It was such an honor to have James on the podcast today to share his story about his own transition and what his experience was healing the man that he's always been. My favorite part of our conversation was when James talked about what it looks like to define yourself both in and out of your transition versus just jumping from one checked box to the next. He talked about how important it is to just be a friend to yourself and learn who you've always been. I loved this conversation so much. I think it's one that I am probably going to listen back to because he gave so much helpful advice and just some really good practical coping skills and techniques that I think we could all really benefit from. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy. James, how are you doing over there? I am doing very well. How are you, Jackie? I'm doing so good. I am better now because we are, we are getting to finally talk. We've been trying to set this up for a little while. Yes. And then I definitely had the times wrong last, what was it, two or three days ago. So we are, we are here. We made it happen. And honestly, it's kind of nice because for us, while we're recording, it's uh, the first of June. So we're getting to open up with pride, which is uh, a great way to go. Oh, hell yeah. Yay for Pride Month. I don't think that clicked yeah. until earlier when you were saying this month is a big, important month for you. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and I'm wearing yeah. my kind of kind of pride hat. It's got lots it. of colors I love on it. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Amazing. So, James, you're in Portland, you said, right? I am. Yeah, I'm in the Portland area. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. For those listening, I'm getting married in Portland. Well, near Portland. That's right. And I'm so excited. I might wave at James at the grocery store if I see him. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. James, do you want to give our listeners just a little uh, little tidbit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So I am a corporate motivational speaker. I go into companies and I help them build empathy and understanding for Employees going through different life transitions. I myself am trans, so I transitioned uh, about eight and a half years ago, and I've had a lot of other transitions as well: becoming a dad, marriage, um, grief, all of the above. And so, um, I can understand the importance of an employer showing up with resources and empathy during those times. And then I also am a stress and mindset coach helping people through their own life transitions. So I get to do two things that I love deeply. Okay, that's awesome. That is super, super awesome. I found James on Instagram. I can't remember how long ago, but I remember hopping onto one of your lives where you were just, I think you were just answering a bunch of questions about uh, the trans experience and your story and stuff. And I got super interested and was like, I have to interview this guy. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it might have been. I it would I it might not have been, but I think it might have been when I posted uh a video crying about gender. Uh, um, the struggles I had a lot of people messaged me during that time and I swear you were one of them, but it, it might not have been, but, um, yeah, it's been a while and it's been really fun getting to see your stuff too. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, to start off, James, um, will you describe the relationship that you have with your body? Absolutely. I now have a very, I think I would say. How would I word it? I think I would word it in a way of a kind and understanding relationship with my body where I have created expectations that are more enjoyable and Mm -hmm. also have more grace. You know, I recently had an injury happen. Oh my gosh, not really recently anymore. Uh, It was about September of last year. I was doing the Spartan race and I hurt my shoulder and I was super athletic. I mean, kind of doing the Spartan race kind of hints at that. And um, so to go from being athletic to not being able to raise your shoulder, I couldn't even cut vegetables because I couldn't use this arm. It was just shot. And to watch your muscles just go away and to watch all of that hard work, especially as a trans man, right? You spend a lot of your, your life just hoping to be this, you know, very cliche, almost toxic, but strong, tough guy. Right. And then it just went away and I got a dad bod and um, that was really hard. And it was a really important season for me to realign my expectations, to have grace for myself. And now that I'm healing, I actually feel like I'm more connected to my body through that injury because I understand that it's not immortal. Right. That there will be seasons where it's not always acting the way I want it to. Um, It's not always going to do what I want it to. uh, But I get to think of it as like a teammate, right? That my my soul and my body are getting to work together as best as they can. Yeah. Oh, wow. That that sounds, I mean, that's just hard in general to have that kind of injury and have to relearn what your body can and can't do and along with whatever changes happen. But I can imagine that as a, as a trans man, that just must have had so many layers to it. Oh, yeah, it was definitely difficult. And I didn't realize it was difficult until I started healing. And I realized, like, one, how long of a road it would be from healing. Because you, I put it off for a really long time. I kept thinking, my body will jump back. My body will jump back. My body always jumps back. And it didn't jump back. It just hurt. And it turns out it wasn't, um, thankfully, it wasn't a torn rotator cuff. But it was the muscles that surround that area. And... I had to get physical therapy. It just was not healing on its own. And when I was to physical therapy and they kind of gave me the timeline, it hurt because I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to feel weak for this much longer. And it made me realize all the negativity I associated with what we classify as weakness, right? All of the mm-hmm. stigma that we classify with it and all while still taking testosterone and when I started taking testosterone eight years ago, there's this idea of like, well, you're taking testosterone, right? You get the beard, the voice, the muscles. That's like the three big ones that people talk about. And to lose the muscles, but still be taking the shot, you just kind of feel like, I don't know how to explain it. Just kind of like this disappointment, right? This, this, mm-hmm. this frustration. And so, um, yeah, it was definitely complicated. But I will say, 
transitioning, the injury, becoming a dad, becoming a husband, all of them have been amazing opportunities, not without trials, that have helped me redefine my relationship with masculinity, with a lot of stereotypical male things, with what I expect, what I classify as strength or weakness, right? It's, I'm very grateful for all of the different opportunities I've had, including getting injured. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds like, that sounds like you've got a lot, a lot to say on that kind of thing. I can only imagine. You said you transitioned eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Eight and a half. Yeah. Eight and a half. Wow. What, what would you say, um, your relationship with masculinity was and your like hopes and expectations were when you first started transitioning in comparison to how they are now? Uh, they were dysfunctional and what I would say kind of a mask. So when I started my transition, uh, I had this idea, I call it the Don Draper effect right so i was i believe i was actually watching Mad Men at the time and um i have always been obsessed with suits um you know perfecting the the perfect steak i drank old fashions and dirty martinis well before i watched the show those were all of my go-to things so then i watched the show and i was like oh my gosh this is my show this is amazing and um i was probably about a year or two into my transition when I started to watch like myself see, oh my gosh, I'm, I've been chasing what this show is toxic. And it was really eye opening for me because I was like, oh my gosh, this is totally who I've been trying to become unintentionally. So, and it's what I call, um, when somebody becomes a trans bro. So it happens a lot Mm -hmm. in the trans community is somebody comes out as trans, a trans man, trans masculine, and they all of a sudden or have for a while been building up this idea of what masculinity is and it's just the epitome of a bro or like a cliche misogynistic guy unintentionally i do not think anyone's like hey how can i make my life more complicated (laughs) i was not thinking that um but i had a lot of just this idea of I'm James now. I'm becoming the man I've always been. And and I think that was actually not true. Is I was thinking I'm becoming a man now. And when I went through my breakdown, I and got to my breakthrough, I realized I'm healing the man I've always been. And those were two very different conversations. Yeah. And so before I had my breakdown, which was about four years into my transition. It was just this very shallow idea of being a man. It's what I would truly classify what all of my guy, cis, cis guy friends, a lot of my cis guy friends think of man, um, manhood, masculinity, their identity is this um, surface level. And I would also venture to say a lot of the cis women in my life, one of the gifts of being trans is it's given me the opportunity to stop and go, wait, I think I need to question this. But even when I transitioned, I didn't do that. It wasn't until I had a breakdown that I questioned like, oh shit, I think I just went from one box to another box. And I think I actually need to figure out what's true for me and heal my identity 
heal my relationship with femininity, heal my relationship with masculinity and realize who I am as a whole entire person and work towards that versus what does society want me to be as a cis man or I mean as a trans man reflecting what society wants from cis men you know what I mean and uh mm. so now I no longer am trying to be a cis man I'm no longer trying to be a man I am simply existing as the trans man that I am and some days that's just existing as a man who happens to be trans on days like today where I'm getting to do a podcast and talk about my trans identity, that's being a trans man proudly. Um, some days I'm not even a trans man. Sometimes I'm just a James who's a tired dad, right? And yeah. like, yeah, trans is there somewhere, but it has nothing to do with the topic, you know? And I have this relationship where it's not my one identity. Um, masculinity is not my one identity, right? It's just like a pie chart. And it's it's been very healing. And ironically enough, full circle not only do i not wear suits that much but i also <laughs> now no longer drink i went dry during covid so i don't even have old fashions or dirty martinis and i went vegan during covid so i don't need to worry about grilling the perfect steak so all of these things that i had <laughs> classified as the perfect man uh are no longer applicable to me so you know say love you oh i love that i love that wait i so many things on what you just said but you don't drink because i don't drink either yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I quit during COVID as well, so that's really fun. You know, it was one of those control what you can't control type things. And mm -hmm. I I got headaches from alcohol for the probably the last three years before I stopped. And I just finally during COVID was like, why am I still drinking? Like <laughs> like i love how they taste right like they're fun i love the ritual of making an old-fashioned or dirty martini which is partly why i started drinking them in the first place and i was like i'm getting a migraine every time like this is this is easy it's not even like complicated just stop and yeah so it's been it's been a big game changer what, was there any set reason if you don't mind me asking for you or was it kind of those also control what you can control during covid type thing yeah, for me, it was more so uh, I was just drinking a way mm. too much to cover up. Yeah. It was more so that story. I quit somewhat recently out of after I got out of treatment. And so mm. it was kind of like a one thing led to the another led to a, yeah. oh, this is this is a thing I need to I need to look at. Right. So I yeah. love I love meeting other people who don't drink for whatever reason and be able to kind yeah. of like share that. That's cool. Do you like yeah. um, mocktails since you like how I they love, taste? Yeah. Yes, I do. Like there's been a few mocktails that I've found. That I'm like, OK, all right, I can get behind that. And now it's yeah. been so long that when I do taste alcohol, because my wife still drinks. So like she'll get like seltzers or something that are like the whole cocktail in a can. And I'm like, there's no way that tastes good. And I'll taste it. And I'm like, oh, gosh, it's <laughs> so strong. And uh, I don't even think I could go back to alcohol because even the subtlest alcohol, it's not even that it gives me a headache right away. It's no longer enjoyable because I've had so many good mocktails now that don't have that bite that like kick you. They don't have the headache. They don't have the sugar that now I'm like, I really do like this subtle, um, the, the pleasure of just having a nice drink because it's enjoyable, right? Mm -hmm. It's not because there's any end goal to be more chill or more loose or whatever reason numbing, right? There was no, there's none of that. It's I'm genuinely just doing something because I want to enjoy it. So now when I taste alcohol, 
call him like, oh gosh, it's like a punch in the face. No, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Well, we'll have to swap uh, mocktail oh, sure. ideas and whatnot later because I have yeah, so many sure. recommendations. I want to hear what cheers are too, especially if you were an old fashioned drinker because that was my favorite as well. So, oh, was it? Yeah, I, love I loved them um, with love the it. orange peel and yep. it just orange peel and the the classic the bourbon cherries. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk. But yeah, for sure. I. I love what you had to say right before we went in the squirrel. I call I call kind of that kind of thing squirrel brain. So right yes, before 100%. we went to the squirrel brain conversation, um, that that sounds like you have been on quite a journey since when you first transitioned to now. That just sorry. Oh, you're good. That sounds like you have been through just some really, really big moments. And I love how you said versus how you used to think about like becoming a man. Mm. Uh, it's now more so healing the man that you've always been. Cause that's the truth. And that's got to feel so healing and peaceful. And I love that. Yeah. yeah. It also makes me feel like I have a lot less to prove. Right. So you know, I do a coaching program with um, trans men and a lot of times the thing that comes up is they'll just say one, they'll either say, I, do, I, I know I'm a trans man, but I don't want to identify as that because I can't stand what cis men represent or what being a man represents. Or they'll say, I just want to fit into society as a man. And it's nothing easy, right? Nothing I want to say is like belittling the validity of what they feel. But when you really, excuse me, when you get to the other side of that and you realize other people's masculinity, other people's identities have nothing to do with your own relationship with yourself, you're able to really take up spaces who you are. You're able to say, this is my truth. and I may not look like other men. I may not look like other trans men. I do not love the trans flag. <laughs> I just wish they would have picked other colors than baby blue and baby pink, especially being a dad. I'm around enough baby pink and baby blue all the time, <laughs> right? I don't need it. It's any time I see the flag, I think of my baby showers for my kids, right? Like that's automatically what I think of. That does not make me feel like an empowered trans individual. It makes me feel like a child <laughs> and <laughs> no shade to whoever designed it. I'm very grateful that they have representation. But for years, Jackie, I felt shame as a trans individual that I did not want to buy trans shirts. I didn't want to buy trans gear. I didn't want to buy trans merch. I felt real shame. I don't love the rainbow. I literally, I'm wearing green today because I was, we talked, you know, I was rushing because I was super tired and I just grabbed it. But like my ideal outfit is like white and black all the time. Maybe green, hunter green or like night, like midnight blue or like Superman red. That's it. Like that's me branching out a little bit. And mm -hmm. so it's not that I want to hate on the rainbow. It's just too overstimulating for me. I, it's just too much. I felt real shame about that. I felt shame that the idea of wearing a rainbow didn't feel not only was it like, I oh, know I'm good. It literally felt like, no, that does. That makes me feel like when my mom told me I needed to wear a dress to the Mother's Day event, I get that same visceral feeling about wearing something rainbow that isn't cool tie dye. Literally your hat. I love that. Like 
I have a tie-dye shirt that was done really well. I love it. It's rainbow, but it's done. It looks like, um, you know, the, the culture where uh, the event where they take um, different colors and they throw it and it looks like it's the dust that's different colors. It's yes. just, it's like your hat a little bit. I have a shirt like that. I love that. To me, that I can wear. That's just enough. It's faded colors, but I can do it. And it's only half the shirt. To me, which I know that whole sounds like a rant to everybody else, to me, that took years to find something that I felt comfortable enough to be like, yes, I can wear that without feeling that same visceral reaction. And I felt shame about that. And then I realized, who am I trying to prove my queerness to? Who am I trying to prove my transness to? I realized, who am I trying to prove my, who am I trying to prove my manhood to or my femininity to? And I, all of a sudden it was just eye-opening of, oh, fuck, I've been giving my power away to literally everybody. I've been giving it away to queer people. I've been giving it away to cis people. I've been giving it away to my, uh, like the idea I had in myself. And I have not let myself just exist as I am with no apologies. And when I help somebody who is going through transition realize that it is like night and day I can see in them, they start taking up space as the trans person that they want to be. And sometimes that is more queer. Sometimes it's actually less queer, right? They have less of this need to fit into this queer mold that is very stereotypical. Sometimes they're like, let's go hardcore. They go even more rainbows. And I'm like, do it, do what's right for you. Right? So I think it's important that we we give space to the fact that people are they're going through a journey and they're trying to find out what's right for them. And when we project onto them, case in point for trans people, that a transition is named pronouns, hormones, surgery, and that's a transition. That minimizes just so much of what a real transition is. It minimizes that journey of them getting to really fall in love with who they are on all the levels, re falling in love with the foundation of who they are as a core person, their, their moral compass, their identities, all the things that make somebody rich. And none of those things have to do with name pronouns, hormones, or surgeries. Those are just mm -hmm. things that you get to do on top of it that are wonderful and beautiful. Mm -hmm. But there's so much more depth to being a trans person. There's so much more depth to being a cis person. And when we really give people the space to be that, I think that's such a gift because we put so much weight, so many stereotypes on people and it just, it limits them. And in the end, I think it truly suffocates them. And that's a lot of the struggles that we're seeing. It's the same reason why a lot of cis people are upset at trans people. And I have an immense amount of empathy for them because what I represent to them is freedom that they were not allowed to have. And there's mm -hmm. bitterness with that. There is discomfort. There's fear. They are absolutely feeling that fear because they were taught that that type of freedom, it's not just taboo, it's vile. They were taught that. And now I'm doing it and I'm happy. Of course, that messes with them. Of course, they feel fear. Does that validate, validate what they're doing? No, absolutely. They do not get to take away civil rights just because of their fear. But does that help me strategize how I can help them? better understand the trans experience? Does that help me be a better teacher, a better educator, a better speaker? Absolutely. That empathy to understand, I was misogynistic in how I viewed my transition. I was terrified of the femininity I, I had in me 
And I spent half my life with society viewing me as a female, and I still was afraid of my femininity. How the heck do I expect a cis man who was raised only to believe he was allowed to be this masculine being? How do I expect him to fully understand the trans experience without some compassion and empathy to reach across and go, I get it. I see it. Right. So I think it's very important that we we extend the same empathy to ourselves, to others, so we can have more productive conversations about these topics. Mm. Okay. I love that. I love that. That sounds like such a necessary and important bridge that you're building to just not only understand yourself and your experience better and other other trans people's experiences, but also to just build that bridge to like even have a conversation with cis people, cis men about it. It just, that's really, really special. You talked a little bit about a breakdown that you had some some years ago what um i'm assuming i'm assuming that had to do with a little bit of the switch in your mindset about all this uh will you tell me a little bit more about what happened and kind of yeah yeah Yeah, it was definitely a complicated time it was about four years in my transition um we had gotten pregnant with Addie. my wife was pregnant uh we just found out that my grandma had cancer we got my top surgery date um, was approved and then they moved it up so that we could have the surgery before Addie was born. So it was rushed a little bit. And then um, Addie was born and the same day Addie was born, my grandma passed away from the cancer that we had found out about. Um, so Addie was born at like eight in the morning. We got to show my grandma a photo. My, my dad was down in California with her. And then literally 12 hours later, she passed away that day. And then we um, sold our old house and bought into a new house, and all while healing from top surgery, um, all within about a six-month period. And it was just chaos. And I had no coping skills. So alcohol, porn addiction, um, numbing. Um, yeah. Basically, those were my go-to. Some fitness, right? Some of it was fitness, but it wasn't intentional body movement. It was from a place of vanity and masculinity, right? It was not like Mm -hmm. I'm moving my body to feel in touch with the muscles, to feel the growth, to feel the intentionality. It was just going through the motions to be strong, to be buff. And um, yeah, just complete breakdown. And I remember getting to the other side of everything and i look back and i think how i think i was uh 30 at the time how did i go 30 years without knowing how to meditate without how knowing how important deep breathing was without knowing uh, the basic gift of journaling the basic gift of cold exposure like just one of them how did I go 30 years and nobody sat me down to say, you know, you're coming out the very, very first time I came out, right? Before I came out as trans and I was like, I don't know my identity. I think I might be like gay or something. Nobody sat me down in my community and said, you're going to go through a really hard time. This is important. When I got married, 
nobody sat me down and said, this is going to be a really jarring time. Here's some ways to cope. When I became a dad, when I had top surgery, when I came out as trans and then I had top surgery, all these things, the grief of losing my grandma, nobody talked about coping. Not once. And I look at it and I think, what a, what a painful society we must live in that all of us are going through that different seasons, job losses, layoffs, a pandemic. And it is not our community's first thought to say, how can we help you show up for yourself? Often we'll say, how can I show up for you? Right. A meal train, uh, you know, maybe if you have kids and people are really paying attention, they'll do childcare or grief, you know, maybe they'll be like, yeah, we'll check in for a couple of weeks after you lose a loved one. But we do not prioritize the actual coping or stress management or whatever word people use. We don't normalize that conversation. And so it was definitely like eye-opening for me to realize I have to rebuild my entire relationship with how I process um, stress, how I process dopamine and serotonin, right? I had to have a, an uncomfortable conversation with myself being ADHD that my brain is searching for dopamine desperately, which is why there was so much of my addiction to porn. Um, there was uh, this fear, right? So there was this like, okay, I'll be macho and masculine with alcohol or with steaks or whatever cliche thing it was, these insecurities. And it, and I didn't just sit down and sit with the discomfort. And that was really healing for me is when I learned the gift of meditation to be able to sit with the discomfort and sit in the intrusive thoughts and the insecure thoughts, sit in the insecurities of who I am or who I'm not and allow myself to just um, allow myself to be okay with the discomfort. And that was something I've learned is very difficult for a lot of people. Meditation is the number one thing I'll say gets the most pushback. Cold exposure is second. But um, when I bring up meditation, people are so quick to say, oh, no, I can't do that. And first, as a coach, I'll say, well, let's talk about the language you use, right? So instead of saying, I can't do that, say, I choose not to, right? So let's take em empowerment back. But two, why are you choosing not to? I can't get my brain to stop or I don't want to really think about this stress. Okay, so we as a society are uncomfortable with boredom. We're uncomfortable with sitting in the insecurities. We're uncomfortable with discomfort. So my motto is let's get comfortable with being uncomfortable and really find ways to stretch that. And the more I stretch that, the more I can find control in my body, the more I can find um, this ability to be somebody who I'm really proud of and who aligns with the moral values I have where before I had anger issues, I was snapping all the time. I was judgmental. I was fake, right? I had this charming personality that I could put on the smile and then I would shut the door and I would just be bitter as all get out. And I just thought, that's not how I want to live. That's not it. That's not who I want to be. And I want to be myself all the time. And if I'm frustrated at somebody, I want to be able to sit in that discomfort and be, lay some boundaries with them. I want to be able to do that. And so, yeah, the breakdown was a lot of really hard things all in one small period. And yet the breakthrough rippled into the, into my whole entire life. Mm. Okay. 
Yeah, I think what what you said about nobody gave you coping skills through any mm. of these big life events, I that is something I, I hear, I feel like pretty regularly, at least like amongst people that are, uh, have any bit of like interest in self-reflection and self-awareness. Yeah. And I think anyone in the like queer umbrella definitely yeah. has a good chance of being somewhat self-reflective and whatnot based on based on our stories and what we have to kind of go through in this society and i i think it's really cool that that was the shift for you or that was like a part of the shift for you was realizing how important those coping skills were and you really like honed on into them it sounds like yeah, yeah. What so so your favorites just I, I usually like to ask kind of like practical advice. Yeah. Um and you mentioned a few. You said meditation, cold exposure, uh, and then what are what are like your top four mm. favorite things coping wise? Yeah. And I really like to do small implemental ways, right? So people will think meditation and they automatically think either one, they have to get to Zen. What they need to understand is monks don't even get to Zen. So when you're thinking about like, I'm supposed to just sit here and feel like I'm relaxing on a beach, that's not meditation. Meditation is just being able to sit and observe your thoughts and they might be chaotic as fuck. And sometimes they're going to be actually stiller than you think. You can do guided meditation. You can do a three minute meditation. You can do a 30 second meditation and just start there. And then tomorrow add in 15 seconds, right? So write the coping book for yourself don't think you have to do somebody else's right so first start small cold exposure a lot of people say i can't do that right so rewrite that i choose not to well first really look at what you're needing okay so if somebody is saying to me i am needing to have better stress management i'm needing more dopamine uh, i need to have more of a routine in the morning okay so you, you need to be more awake you need dopamine and you need to be able to handle stress it might be uncomfortable for you, but cold exposure is the number one thing to do. Jump in the shower and have a cold 30 minute or a three minute shower. And if for you, that's horrible, start with your normal shower. And then at the very end, turn it to cold for 10 seconds and then do 20 seconds and then 30 seconds, right? Slowly build up to it. But the reality is, is if you know what your goal is, or you know what you're not having and what you need, it makes getting uncomfortable more doable. Because you know, on the other side, I need the dopamine this is going to give me. And I don't want dopamine from a toxic relationship that's codependent. I don't want dopamine from seeing him text me and I'm excited, even though I know he's bad for me. I don't want dopamine from alcohol or I don't want, right? All of a sudden you can say the do's and the don'ts. I don't want that. I do want to be in control, but I do need healthy ways to get these hormones or, or the, the chemical balance. and. Once you have that, then you're more likely to get uncomfortable because you're willing to go through the discomfort to get the goal on the other end. So first, before you do any coping skill, figure out what it is that you're wanting to cope with or what you're wanting to cope from, right? So for me, there was the parts of being ADHD. I started to realize, okay, scientifically, I need a dopamine hit that's healthy. Like my, I need to be able to focus. So I need to be able to do micro workouts before I have big meetings. I need to do big workouts regularly, but I need to have 
some micro, just quick couple burpees before I do meetings so I can stay focused. Got it. Okay. That's helpful. That's a coping skill. Someone might not think that's a coping skill to me. I'm coping with the tools I have so that I can be more attentive in a meeting. That's easy. That doesn't mean I have to go write for 30 minutes to journal, to feel all my feelings, to be more focused, right? Like people put these coping strategies in this this label that's unattainable or it's too mushy or it's too rigid. You have to find what's right for you. So I would definitely say cold exposure is a fantastic way to go because it's scientifically proven, but it's uncomfortable. So start small. Meditation is fantastic because you can do guided or you can do on your own. You can journal after this is what I was thinking about. This is what I couldn't get my brain off of. You can do body scans, uh, body movement, you any type of intentional body movement. So if you are disabled and you're not able to do workouts that maybe a lot of people talk about, you can still do a simple deep breathing exercise that reminds you of how in control you are with your body. That's what intentional body movement is about. It's about reminding yourself that you are in control of a lot more than you realize and making peace with what you're not in control with. So I can't control how my heart, you know, beats. But there's certain things that I can control about how deep I breathe that then makes my rate, my heart race a little bit more. And it's like, okay, there's certain parts that I can't control, certain parts I can't. And then the last one I would say that's been really revolutionary for me is journaling before bed with a structure. So gratitude, adding one to three things you're grateful for, for the day journaling about your thoughts, get them out. Don't do a really deep dive. This does not need to be philosophical. This is just a basic get out your thoughts before bed. And then three, what your goals are for the next day. So you're not laying there thinking about the next day. Just write it out. I'm going to be doing this. Last night when I couldn't sleep, Jackie, I didn't do any of that. I just got into bed and then I tried to meditate after two hours of laying there because I didn't do any of the things that I normally do because I was just so eager to go to sleep and it backfired. So I highly encourage you to have a routine and stick to it because normally when you don't stick to it, that's the night you're going to have really bad sleep. So journaling with gratitude and the understanding, okay, this is what tomorrow looks like and what I can do to make tomorrow easier. Maybe I want to work out. Okay, I need to wake up five minutes earlier so I can have my outfit ready to go, whatever it might be. That's better than you wake up five minutes later tomorrow and you're like, gosh, I just wish I would have thought about it. I totally forgot I wanted to work out, right? So if you think about it the night before, you're a little bit more prepared. The more prepared you are, the more in control you feel of what you can control. So you're more at peace with what you can't control. So I would say those four are really good, good ways to start. Okay. That was an incredible answer. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very good, I feel like when you talk about this stuff regularly, you know, <laughs> that was very, very helpful. I, cause I've heard bits and pieces of those things before, but uh, that was a really helpful, like in-depth way. And also leaving room for people to like customize and just see what works for them you acknowledging that and just like making sure that is the forefront is a really big deal. Um, I like you talk about that a lot. I think when I was looking through your social media, I was noticing, I think there were a couple of posts that you made um, specifically about when people are at the beginning of their transition or even just trying to figure out if they are trans and kind of playing with different just different ideas, just trying to really figure out who they are. Uh, something that you have said that I really, really like is to, I wrote it down here where you say, 
defining who you are in and out of your transition and kind of just figuring out outside of surgery and hormones and stuff like what makes them them. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and your thoughts on that? I love that topic. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. I am a very, um, I'm a very big advocate of let's turn everything on its head and see what's working and not working. And when I came out as trans and I started to become part of the trans community, I saw so much toxic behavior, behavior that I was involved in that led to my breakdown. And a very um, large part of it is uh, an example I built of the box scenario. So before you transition or you come out as trans or you come out as queer, and this is going to be the same for any of your listeners who are cis, um, if they are a part of any type of identity, right? So which is applicable to every human, you're put into a box and you don't really fit into that box. And so what society does is it just slowly cuts away at your head, your brain, your psyche to make you fit into that box, right? So you might be a, a trans woman, but for your whole life, everybody's like, no, you're a little boy and you're going to fit into that box, right? And so they just cut a little bit of their head every day to when they want to wear that beautiful dress and they say, no, you can't, you got to wear the suit, right? And they put on the suit and they betray a little bit of themselves unintentionally. So it's not their fault, but they do, right? They're like, I guess what my parents say is more important than what I'm saying for myself, right? And they maybe even try to advocate for themselves and then that backfires. So they learn very quickly. We don't advocate for ourselves. We get bullied when that happens, right? Mm -hmm. So they cut a little bit of themselves away over and over and over again until they fit so nicely into that box. Hopefully one day they realize that box does not fit them and they get out of that box. But what happens is because we are so comfortable in boxes, we go from one box to another. And that is often what happens with trans individuals is we go from one identity to this other identity. Often it's taking on the trans identity as your whole identity or, and I'm guessing in the queer community, you've seen this happen with other lesbians or gay individuals where all of a sudden being gay is their entire personality. When I was in college and I was part of a a queer club, it was literally everybody in the club, like being queer was their entire identity. And it's fair. That's the human behavior in no sense. Am I judging it? But I am saying, let's observe it and see how we can do this in a way that is less dysfunctional, that gives us the opportunity to really fall in love with who we are, not the boxes that we feel comfortable in. So what I try to do is I help people take a step back before they jump into another box and help them feel safe enough to ask clarifying questions about who they really are, what they really enjoy. And when you ask clarifying questions and you think crucially about this situation you're in, all of a sudden this becomes a tool building exercise, whether it's what hobbies do I like? What are my moral values? What schedule do I want in my life? What career do I like? What do I need out of the relationship? right? All of a sudden, this becomes a a conversation about accountability. And this has very little to do with gender. It has very little to do with masculinity or femininity. It has very little to do with actually transitioning at all. And really, it has 100% to do with falling back in love with yourself outside of any boxes, outside of any labels, and just letting you realize who you are as an entire person. 
and it's very freeing. And there are days where I have more of my trans identity with me, but for the most part, I'm just me. I'm very complex. I'm, I have depth. So does my wife. So does my three-year-old and my six-year-old. And I hope to do everything I can to give them the tools to keep that depth, to keep that uniqueness about them so that they don't start to try to fit into a box, right? Because that would break my heart that I would only reserve those tools for adults. So I try really hard to help you know, youth. I, I am a big advocate of empower trans youth. You know, yes, protect trans youth, but I really wish it would have been empower trans youth because so many of the youth I coach, they are obsessed with names and pronouns and the gender identity. And I'll just say like, but who are you? And they have no idea because so many queer adults around them obsessed with them about honoring their names and pronouns, honoring the gender. And, and that's totally valid. I think that there is a time and a place, but when that is all you as an adult focus on, you're communicating to youth that that's all they are. And I think it's really important that we empower trans youth to be able to take a step back and say, who are you as an entire person? Who are you that brings you joy, that makes you feel alive? Who are you that happens to be maybe, you know, queer? or that uses those pronouns. Because what I will tell you, Jackie, is when I started doing this work, I no longer gave a shit if people used the right pronouns for me. Because I realized whether they saw me as a man or a woman no longer mattered. When I started doing the work and I realized that I was healing the man inside me, I realized, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I've been letting everybody else tell me I'm a man. And if they didn't use the right pronouns, they were telling me I'm not a man and I believed them. And it really happened in therapy. And my therapist said, do you think if, because she asked who some of my role models are, and I said, LeBron James and Barack Obama. And she said, do you think if somebody walked up to them and used the wrong pronouns, would they be offended or would they laugh? And I said, I think they'd probably laugh or they wouldn't even acknowledge it. Like they wouldn't even, it wouldn't even cross the radar. They would just keep going. And she said, so do you want to be affected by it or do you want to be like LeBron and Barack? And I just was like, mm. oh, fuck. I, I, I don't want to let other people affect me that way when I know who I am. And then I realized, shit, I don't know who I am. Now I got more work to do. And that was where all of this started of, I want to be able to let people, you know, mess up and not have it ruin my entire day because for for years, if people messed up, I was shot for days. I was insecure. I was depressed. I let everybody just hold my emotions and play with them like Play-Doh. And so it is very freeing when you start to realize it doesn't matter how other people see me. I know it's true for me. And again, all of this does not take away the importance of honoring people's pronouns, honoring people's names. But when you as an individual take that ownership back, it can be very freeing because then you get to have a real honest conversation and, and relationship with who you are. And also people don't feel the need or pressure to get it right. They can mess up and, okay, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it right. And when they apologize, you're able to say, it's okay. Anyways, keep going. Da, 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 right. And when I did that switch, people felt so much safer around me and they felt safer. And that's when the trans coach really was able to breathe because I was able to to experience, okay, what does it really mean to be trans? And I don't need other people to tell me what it means. 
I get to decide what it means. That was amazing. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like I, I feel so excited just about your answer because it, like you said at the beginning, like it applies to anyone with an identity, anyone with any kind of experience and looking at it in that way, looking at like anything in that way is so, it's so freeing. And it's not something I hear talked about like ever, ever, ever. And I think um, I saw a, that was another thing. I'm happy you brought up the thing about empowering trans youth versus pro- like mm. using the term protecting. Cause that's another thing I wrote down. Um, it's just, I, we don't, or I don't hear that talked about. And I think that that's so important. And I, I just, I love that. I love that because when I, when I first came out, um, I remember one of my best friends who had come out like a long time, like years and years before me said something about like how some people make it like their whole identity and how that, like you said, like, that's okay. And to not judge it, but at the same time, like, why is that all of a sudden everything that they are? And there's the things to be said about it being like, um, like living proud and being like visible. So other kids who haven't come out yet can see it. But then when you look past that, it's like, what else? Like, what are the other reasons that whatnot? And I think that that's just so cool because I, I don't know. I love that. And I'm excited that you're writing a book apparently because I'm going to read it and I hope it talks yeah, about I'm that. I'm very excited. Yeah, How, that'll where, be the basis of it. Yeah. Okay. Where, where did like, so you are uh, a coach. Where did <laughs> that come from? Like, how did you develop this? Cause I, I assume like you work for yourself, right? Like you created this business. That's so yeah. cool. That takes so much to do. Where, where did that come from? Like, how did you develop that? That started with COVID. So I was a realtor beforehand. Now I have always wanted to be a um, motivational speaker, probably since I was about eight years old. And along the years as well, I've always wanted to be like a mentor and helper, right? To to help people uh, find their joy. And so life happens, right? You make choices that lead you to need a job to pay bills. And, um, Courtney was making tremendously more than me. So I became a stay at home dad and did realty, a uh, realtor part-time and that, and I did not love it, uh, but I did trainings. So I would train people on how to be more queer, uh, friendly, how to be more empathetic to your queer clients, how to create, um, safe transactions on the side of actually doing my own real estate. And, so COVID happened and we had just had Ellie and I did not want to be going into houses with strangers with this pandemic going on. Um, I'm in an area where a lot of people weren't wearing masks. And so I just was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to risk my kids health and safety uh, for something that I actually despise. Right. Like, yes, it's bringing in some income. It was not bringing in a lot. Courtney was making most of the money. So I was like, I'm just going, we're going to double down. Then quarantine happened. And I was like, well, yeah, no, now I'm definitely not going to risk it. And then she got laid off. And so I was like, oh, what the heck are we going to do? And um, so people started reaching out to me asking if I could do that 
training that I had been doing in person about working with queer clients. And so I started posting like, all right, doing another coaching, all right, doing another, um, you know, workshop today. And friends would reach out and say, I think my company would actually like that workshop. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And, you know, I would charge like a little bit here, a little bit there. And I um, started realizing how much I was undercharging, right? So I started researching how much speakers charge. And people would say, well, I don't really need the workshop, but could I do a coaching hour with you? And I was like, yeah, I could do that. And so then I started doing coaching um and the trans coach just kind of i switched my handle over uh to the trans coach probably because it was some something realtor james the realtor or something like that and uh, it was no longer applicable to the work that i the content i was creating so i just did a throwaway thing i was like i'll be the trans coach and whew, what four years later three years later uh it's an entire brand that i sometimes regret doing because it's become trans like people assume oh you're a speaker who talks about trans stuff you're a coach for trans people and as you've listened for the last hour i'm like the biggest advocate of trans not being my biggest defining thing so i'm slowly trying to figure out what that means for me and my brand moving forward um but at the, and at the time i had like a thousand followers right it wasn't like it wasn't a brand <laughs> it was just a handle that i was just like i'll be the trans coach um, so yeah, that, that all started because of COVID shifting the dynamic of my, my family and, um, giving me the opportunity to really do what I love and, mm. um, take up space in a way that I've always wanted to take up space. Okay. That's awesome. How, how can people find you and hire you or book you? Like, how yeah. can people do that? TheTransCoach.com is my website. TheTransCoach at gmail.com is my email. And then the TransCoach handle is my social media for YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. Uh, so I, when I say it's my brand, it's literally just the TransCoach is the easiest way to, to find me. And um, yeah, there's the website is definitely built as my speaker website. The um, social media is more built for my coaching content. And then if you just reach out to me email wise, I, I can work on either side of coaching or uh, a speaking, but those are definitely the best ways to get in touch with me. Okay. Awesome. For, oh, this is good timing. Um, did it pop up for you too? Yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, perfect timing. Um, I was hoping it would come when we were about to wrap up, but Okay, that is that is awesome for those listening. Definitely, definitely follow James on uh, Instagram because you post a lot of really good content for Thank you. people in the trans community, but also just people in general. You have some really, really good resources and tools and whatnot. So if anyone out there is listening and enjoyed, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation, go follow James and go look up all, all the things. I have... Um, I have one more very important question for you. Are you prepared for it? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One more question before, before we sign off. Um, James, would you rather live mm. in a treehouse that was built of various kinds of cereal 
it was perfectly mm. safe. Like it was a perfect, like it, it's up to whatever the codes would be for a treehouse okay. built of cereal. Like there's no danger okay. there. Um, okay. It's a really cool treehouse. It takes you a while to get down off of it to go like be in society. But when you do, you get to be like, yo, that's my house up there. Yeah. I live in that tree house. It's built of cereal. I live in a cereal house. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And if you really wanted to, you can eat some of it. Uh, don't eat right. all of it because then it wouldn't be right. Because then anymore. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have the house. Yeah, obviously, obviously, and you don't want to you don't want to not have that. That's your right. that's your thing. Or would you rather? Uh, would you rather coach a little league team of cereal boxes that are alive, kind of like Toy Story? You know, like the <laughs> yes. <laughs> that guy. This is giving yes, yes. Oh. So it's like the cinnamon toast crunches versus the fruit loops. And you're the coach of both, both teams, both teams, no matter what you got to jump from like this dugout to that dugout to give some pep talks and whatever little league coaches do during games. Um, Whoever went like, they're always, they're good sports about it. Sometimes you have the bratty box, but they listen to you. They respect you. What Mm. would you pick? (laughs) I did just finish. Ted Lasso last night. So there is a part of me that is leaning towards the coaching, but I always loved, and I believe it was the Swiss Family Robinson's treehouse. I always wanted a treehouse growing up. So I'm going to go to the treehouse. I'm going to say I'd rather live in a, a cereal treehouse. Oh, I was, I did not expect that when I was saying yeah. I'm in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, he's a coach. Of course he's going to pick the coach. But I then- know. I know. But that, <laughs> that childhood part of me, that's like cereal yes. and the treehouse. the child in me is like, you can't pass that up. You can't Heck pass yeah, it up. man. Cereal yeah, yeah. is so important to life. And then you get a house and a snack. And then you get a house and a treehouse of all. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah. That one sounds the coolest. You should build a treehouse with your kids. That'd be really cool. Yeah, no, that's the goal. That's definitely the goal. That's awesome. That's awesome. James, thank you so much for your time and um, being willing to open up and share and just spread all this really good, good things, all these coping skills. I know I am going to be definitely using them. So (laughs) thank you so much, James. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Unity Project Podcast. If you guys enjoyed what you heard today, then feel free to go leave us a review anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Or if you wanted to get involved or get in touch, follow me on Instagram at JackieG.TV or check out my website for any and all information, JackieGronlin.com. All of that info is in the description box below. See you next time.